There's a different graphic behind me which tells us that we're moving into, actually this started last week, but they didn't, I didn't tell them early enough to come up with something. And um, we're still talking of in, about this subject that I shared with you um, a few months ago that while we were on vacation this summer, I felt the Lord speak to me and, and challenge me and say that, that, that me personally, and boy, I can really see it now, and as a church, we were at a crossroads. We had to make a decision. There's two paths we could go down. One path, he said to you, to me, he said, you can, either have, you can either have church or you can be the church. And, and I knew immediately what he meant. And what he meant about having church is, having church is what we get out of it. It's when we, you know, we leave a service and say, wow, wasn't that great? Or uh, he was kind of off today and the worship was kind of, ah. and we're talking about what we get out of it. And it's, it's fine to get something out of it but we should get out of more than it was a good experience. But what we're called to be is not, ha- not to have church, but we've been called to be the church. We are the, we are the body of Christ. We're not called to act like Christ. We're called to be Him in the earth. And the difference is, com- is night and day. And the difference is success and failure. And so we've spent enough time talking about that. I'm not going to go back over that. But we went, all right, if we are, if we are to be the church, what does that mean? And we looked at the commission. Why are we here? And we looked at the things that Jesus told His disciples right before He left. Each of the Gospels has a part of this great commission, this great mission that's been given to the church. And that is our purpose, which is to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that He's commanded us to do. That's Matthew's version. Mark's version is to go preach the Gospel. And, 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 and these signs will follow in all nations. And Luke, it was to go teach repentance. And then we looked at John's. You don't see people talk a lot about John's Great Commission. And it's, we are, to, we are to, uh, to go and do the works that Jesus did. And we looked at those works. He, he taught them. He preached the gospel to them. But he also demonstrated that kingdom of God. He didn't just say the kingdom of God is here. He demonstrated the kingdom of God by healing the sick and casting out demons and by ra- even raising the dead in cases. And, and, and he did this with a, to show the heart of God, which is to deliver people from the, from the oppression of Satan. And that's one of the reasons he came. 1 John 3 eight says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that He might destroy the works of the evil one. Not just in heaven, but here, on this earth, in people's lives. And that's what we believe God did in, in our sister's uh, body today, as, as, as we prayed for her and felt the Spirit of God work in her. And so we talked about that. And then we looked at this amazing thing because Jesus told us how He did those works. He said, it's the Father in me that did the works. So Jesus didn't do these miracles. It was the Father in Him. He laid that power aside when He came to earth and took on the form of a servant as a man. And He laid it aside. But then He was filled with the Holy Spirit when He was baptized. And it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that He did these miracles because the Holy Spirit was God dwelling in Him. And then He prayed that that same Spirit would come and be in us. And He told His disciples once He left and was ascending into heaven, He said, you need to wait in Jerusalem because you don't have what you need to do what I did. Wait until you're endued with power from on high. And that word power is the word dunamis, which means dynamite, the power ability of God. And that first church, we talked about this on Wednesday night. We had a powerful prayer meeting here, which by the way, we spent most of our time interceding for this morning and for you. 
And so, the power, because they came together, they didn't know what to expect. They didn't have a book on the Holy Spirit. They didn't know much about Him at all. It's just that Jesus talked about Him and they'd seen, some of them had seen Him work in Him, but they didn't know what, they just knew to be together. They knew they needed, they knew they needed each other. And they knew they needed whatever He said. And on the day of Pentecost, they were together on one accord. And we've seen how the Spirit of God came in that place and filled the room where they were, filled each of them, and they spilled out into the streets. And whatever happened is it caused a large crowd to come. And they wondered what was going on. They thought some of them were drunk, so they weren't just, at, you know, they weren't just typical churchgoers. Praise ye the Lord, hallelujah, praise. Something was pouring out of them. So the much that people, some people thought they were drunk, and then Peter stands up with a boldness that he didn't have only a few weeks before. A boldness and preaches a powerful sermon that says, this man that you crucified was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And you know it was the power of the Spirit, because people said, what must we do? It says they were, they were, they were cut to the quick, to the, to, into the heart where they live. So somehow, for God to work this in us, We've got to be cut to the quick. The Spirit of God has got to touch us inside where we live inside. And their response was, what must we do? And Peter's answer is, repent and receive the remission of your sins and the refreshing that comes. And he says, that's for all who will believe, not just for those disciples. The result of this was 3,000 were saved that day. And before we get into the next chapter, 5,000 I've seen. The church is exploding. And that's happened in other parts of this world, even in this generation. And I believe it's got to happen here. It's got to happen here. So we began to look at, okay, what does that mean for us? And I shared some of my testimony about how, you know, I was, went through a course. I went through the Holy Spirit course years ago in a Catholic charismatic prayer meeting. We weren't Catholic, but we went through it because it was the only thing around outside of Boston. You know, I had a priest lay hands on me, and, you know, eventually I spoke in tongues, and that's great. But God's been just kind of, I've been asking myself as I read through these scriptures, that's great, I speak in tongues, that's great, I'm filled with the Spirit. But where's the power? Where's the boldness? Something's missing. So I've begun to look at this, because many of you are in the same place. I know we don't have the power because the seats aren't filled. You didn't have to wait in line this morning to get your special seat. And so, so what's missing? We, so we, did a, we talked for a few weeks on, on what's missing, and now we began to look last week on what is it that's missing and how do we receive it. So go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. This is kind of where we ended up last week. I'm telling you, that started, I've prayed this almost every day for years, and it started to explode in me. It started to explode in me. We're going to start in verse 15. 14, verse 14, excuse me. For this reason I bow my knees, this is Paul praying, to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 15, that he would, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, so he's talking about us, he's praying for us, that, go ahead, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, we don't have time to look at that yet, to be strengthened with might, and that's that same word power, that Jesus told them to wait until they received power, might, through His Spirit in the inner man. Verse 17. Why? So that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. And what we talked about last week, 
is that, wait a minute, if I asked you, those of you especially that are spirit-filled, does Jesus live in you? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm sure most of us would, yeah, Jesus lives in me because we know what the Bible teaches. Jesus better live in me or I'm not going to heaven. But having Jesus in you and Jesus dwelling in your hearts are not the same thing. Because what we looked at last week is what does this word dwell mean? And I talked about it's not complicated. Anita and I dwell in our house. We're not in it right now. But when we live in our house, we're comfortable there. I wear old t-shirts. I, wear, I got some things she keeps throwing out and I keep picking back up again. Because they're comfortable. I'd have had a pair of tennis shoes that I got on our 25th anniversary to go on a cruise. And this last year, when she threw them out, I couldn't... I finally agreed with them. It was, it was time to go. There were holes in the bottom. But they were comfortable to walk around. They were comfortable... Not outside. They were... But that my point... What was my point? Oh, we dwell in our house. So we're comfortable in there. And, and, and in, it's our place of refuge. So when, when, you know, when I've had a, a hard day, I know when I go home, I can go and just dwell. I, I can be me there. So what this is telling us is Jesus doesn't want to just be in you. He wants to be comfortable in you. Not for you to be comfortable. That's how He can be in us, but not dwell. No, He wants to be comfortable. And what makes Him comfortable can, be very di- can make us uncomfortable. Which is why we need to be strengthened. That's what I begin to look at. You know, Lord, wait a minute. I prayed this for years. And it dawned on me, why? <laughs> why do... You ever go into an amusement park and you're standing in line... And I, when I was growing up, I didn't like roller coasters. And my older kids, they weren't that big on them. But I had the two, the twin boys, the youngest, they loved them. And somewhere around when they were, I don't know, 10, 12 years old, I realized, you know what? I got to do this with them. I got to show them dad's not a chicken. So I'm standing in line. As you're going down the line, they're giving you all these warnings. And I'm, I'm wondering... If this is so much fun, and this is so safe, why do they have to warn me? (laughs) Why do you have to be a certain height? Why do you have to make sure your heart's working correctly? Why do you have to make sure, you know, why do they say, take off all this, take off, you know, hats and glasses? Why are they telling me, what what are they preparing me for? Then you look at people that came off, did they have fun? Little side note, and I, you know, I don't want to go back. Do you ever notice that Disney and these other parks? You ever notice how many people are smiling? Yes. Not many. <laughs> the happiest place in the world. You don't see a lot of happy people. The kids, yeah. Maybe it was what it cost. To, never mind. I'm going there. Don't go there, John. 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 So it dawned on me. Go back to verse 16. If Paul had to pray, this is Christians now, if Paul had to pray to God on his knees, that they would be strengthened 
with power through His Spirit in the inner man just so Jesus could dwell in us? Why did He have to strengthen us to do that? Because He's dwelling in there right now and nobody had to strengthen me. I just asked Him to come in. What's He want to do that i got to be strengthened for? I've told you the story that when in some many several of the law offices I I, I worked in uh, were across the street from construction sites of large office buildings, and I learned some really neat lessons watching them. One of this was out in Tulsa. I'd walk by it, and when they finally broke ground, they kept going down and down and down and down and down, and they went down four stories. And then they poured this huge concrete block down there. And I said, what are they doing that for? Because it's only a 40-story office building. Why are they going down that far? Because when I looked at what effort was going in to the preparation, it made me ask the question, what are they building? So I went and asked the lawyer I was working for who knew what was going on. He said, oh, what they're doing is they're going to build, they're building a 40-story office building, but it's behind a 10-story old historic building. And they're going to go up 11 stories and then go out over the front building and go up another 30 stories. They're going to cantilever it, so it's going to lean over it. So in order to make that safe, they've had to sink they're going to sink steel girders into the back of that building, into those four-story concrete blocks so it doesn't fall over. So my point is, when I saw what the depth and the strength of the preparation was, it gave me some idea of what they were going to build there. And then I began to realize, if Paul's praying that we be strengthened with God's power, in our inner man, just so Jesus can dwell in us, what's he want to do? Because he's been in there for 39 years in me. I've been comfortable, but I didn't need some great outpouring of power for him to be in me. Maybe for what he wants to do, I need that power. And that's what we began to look at last week. That you being rooted and grounded in love, that's important. So we've got to be rooted and grounded in His love for us. Verse 18. That we may be able to comprehend, that means grasp, not just know intellectually, but appreciate with our hearts, together with all the saints, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height and the know, the love of Christ which passes knowledge. We stop there. Go back to verse 18. So what we looked at last week is what Jesus wants, for Jesus to dwell in me, means for Jesus to live His life, what He wants to do, and to be who He is in me and through me. And it starts with being rooted and grounded in love, not rooted and grounded in faith. We need that. Not rooted and grounded in in hope. We need that. Not rooted and grounded in good works. We need those. But rooted and grounded in His love for us. And then what He wants to be... He wants to be... That's good. You're with me. He wants to comprehend what is the width, 
how far wide his love will go. How far, how, what length he'll go to, his love will take people to. What depth, how far down in the dregs of society. We go past people every day that we don't notice that are on his heart. And then the height, people that are in office buildings, people I used to work with that are wealthy. We, we think, well, God wouldn't care about them. What this is talking about is Jesus to, Jesus to dwell in us, for Jesus to live comfortably in us, for Jesus to be able to express Himself and do what He wants to do. He's got to blow the walls off of our limits because we put limits on what He can do through us. And those limits are what we're comfortable with, what we're used to, what people's traditions are. So now I began to see why I need the Holy Spirit to strengthen me to tear down some of those walls, to be able to move some of those walls so that the Spirit of God in me can begin to make room for Jesus to live in me and Jesus to live through me. Remember we're talking about Jesus told His disciples to wait until you're endued with power from on high and that power is when they fill with the Holy Spirit. That power was when they filled that power. They were already born again. John's gospel says before Jesus, was, before Jesus was ascended, he was raised from the dead, but before he was ascended, he breathed on them and said, receive, he said, receive the Holy Ghost. He didn't say be filled with it, he said, receive it. So you can receive him and not be filled with him. I'm going to show that to you in a few minutes. Okay, verse 19 now. Let's go, now we're going to move on. And to know the love of Christ, not your love, We're commanded to love everybody. We're not commanded to like everybody. You don't have to like me, but you do have to love me. I don't have to like you, but I do have to love you. Okay? Okay, just smile. It's okay. I'm joking. Okay. The love of Christ. God wants the love of Christ in this earth reaching out to people. And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of of God in heaven. So He's got to do it through you and me. So he's got to, we've got to be willing to allow him to love, to, to express his love through us. And we put boundaries on that because it's boundaries of what, who we're willing to love. It's boundaries about who, where we're willing to go. It's boundaries about what we're willing to do. Look at this, because we, we, we didn't go any further last week. So that, so that you may be what? You may be what? We're talking about being filled with God's Spirit, so you may be filled... Look, this is one of the most astounding statements in the Bible, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. In Colossians it says, it says that, G, that Jesus was... Jesus, in Him was the, the, the fullness of God in bodily form. He wants to fill us with the fullness of God. Now, I don't believe that means each of us is all filled up with God, but collectively we are filled with Him. So we're talking about, remember we're talking about being filled with the Spirit? This is the filling. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with God's fullness, with Him. Now, here's here's the the good news, verse 20. Now unto Him. Now unto Him, not you, now unto Him 
not your pastor. Now into him. I shared with you at the beginning last week, and I almost did it again today. I'm a teacher. I love teaching. I'm a male. I love fixing things and making things happen. But there's some things I can't fix, and there's some things I can't make happen. And what God wants to do here, I can't make happen. I can't make it happen in me, let alone make it happen in you. All I can do is my part, which is to pray and to see God and to use the gift that God's given to me to make this as clear and as plain as possible so that He can open open your hearts and touch you as He's touching me. Now unto Him... It's talking about what He's able to do. So remember, this prayer is basically God wants to fill you with Him so that Christ can dwell in you and operate in you and through you and for you without any limits. And we all have limits. We have comfort zones. We have have pet issues we believe and don't want to give up. We have traditions we've been taught. All kinds of things we're going to begin to talk about today that that box him in. And he's saying, I want to come in and I want to blow those walls out. And and, and, and that's scary. I'm just going to be honest with you. But the good news is, he's able. Unto him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all what? You can say it. We ask. And think, so all we've got to do is ask Him. Now, asking the Bible doesn't mean paying lip service. It means I want the answer. According, look at this. He's talking about people that God says, I want to fill you with my presence. This is where we are. I want to fill you with my presence. You've got to ask me so I can send the Holy Spirit to empower you so that I can fill you with me, because I'm overwhelming. And, and you can't do that. But you can ask me, and I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly all that you ask beyond, beyond, beyond. That word in Greek means to, means to, means to have a goal and to be able to throw, it's like suppose my goal was the, 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 um, the sound booth back there. And I was, I was playing catch football with my grandson yesterday. And, uh, uh, you know, I found out he was getting stronger than I am. <laughs> and, and, you know, he said, go out, Papa, and I'll go out for a pass. And there were a couple of them. He was aiming at me, but it was like sometimes Tom Brady does. It went over my head. He threw it beyond where he was aiming. That's what that word means. Exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Look at this. According to the power that's already in you. See, we're talking, Jesus is in you, the Spirit of God's in you, so the power to bring these walls down, the power to make these changes, the power to make room is already in you. If you're a Christian, it's in you. You don't have to wait and say, God, drop it. See, in the day of Pentecost, they had to have Him come, but He's here. Okay. So, now what we're going to begin to move on. So what he's saying is we have to be strengthened. I'm, if you don't mind, I'm going to take this because I'm very hot. Thank you. 
That's not a new style, not a trend. I'm just hot. <laughs> People say, oh, I like this. You know, I'm com- more comfortable like this, which means I'll preach better. Okay. Now, so we're about to be strengthened with might by His Spirit so we can be filled with something else without removing what's there. In other words, we need to make room. He wants to make room in us so that He can fill us with Himself and He can dwell in us and live His life through us. What does it mean? Well, I won't ask you to raise your hands. In order to be filled with something, well, have, have you ever... I won't... Don't raise a hand. Have you ever been in a fender bender? You may have been the bendee or you may have been the bendor. And you're driving along or you're just sitting there and all of a sudden, boom! What was that? And somebody wasn't looking where they were going and discovered one of the principles of physics. Two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. It's called a fender bender. All right? That's also true spiritually. That's also true spiritually. Now we're going to get to see what's under there. See if I can do this without spilling anything. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm going to pull this back just a little bit so that people over here can see. Whoops. Now let's just, let, me just, let me see what's under here. I'm not a magician. Okay. All right. That's you. Well, let's put it this way. That's me. Okay. What is it? It's a container. And what's a container do? It holds things. Your heart is a container. And it holds whatever you put in it. So, this has got dirt in it. It's potting soil, so there's a little white stuff in there. So that's kind of the good intentions, and that's kind of the, you know, I, I did pretty well yesterday, you know, I, I prayed yesterday. That's the little white spots in there. Okay? But we talked about this last week. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. He's holy. God is a holy God. So if a holy God is going to indwell us at, with the Holy Spirit, then the container has to be holy. I say, well, you know, Jesus forgave my, you know, paid for my sin to be... That's right. So the, so the container may be holy, but what's in it? What's in it? So here's the, here's the problem. You ready? Whoops. This is God. Holy, pure, clean. God wants to fill this vessel. But He can only... fill what we make room for. We're going to put God over here for a minute. Put God on the shelf. Here's what God wants to do with us. 
He wants to make room. I didn't put enough in here. I didn't buy enough. So he can overflow. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to take this stuff and break it down so that he can make room for us in him. Everybody with me? Follow that? All right. Thank my grandson for helping me with that. And then he reminded me on the way in, what about second service, Papa? So. so this is what we're talking about. This is what he wants to do. But in, in, in each of us, our attitudes, strongholds, that I'm going to take you through some of them. So, and, and all God needs us to do is to be willing, to be open, to face some of these. Now, this is not, I've told you before, this church at this stage is not kindergarten. If you're a new Christian or if you're one of our guests this morning, just receive it as best you can. But we, God wants us to, God will meet you where you are, He'll love you where you are, He'll accept you where you are, but He won't leave, he won't leave you there. He wants you to grow and he won't, He'll challenge you. Because the Scriptures say in Romans 8, we love Romans 8, but the Scriptures say that, that whom He called, He... Pre- you know, it's Romans 8.28, you know what that says? God causes all things to work together for good. We love that, don't we? God causes all things to work together for good. Well, there's more to the verse. Who love God and who are called according to His purpose. And we stop there. Well, what's His purpose? For whom He foreknew... He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So God's plan for you and God's plan for me is that we be conformed to the image of His Son. That we be made to operate and talk and act and think and flow just as if it were Jesus on the earth. Because it is because we are the body of Christ. So it's, it's not shocking that the Spirit of Christ in us is trying to conform us to His image by dealing with attitudes, by dealing... Well, we'll talk about what some of these are. Okay. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. Let's deal with maybe the most difficult one first. <laughs> I picked up the other day because it came to me a book I'd read years ago. And I sat in my office almost weeping. It's a book written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer back in the 40s. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian, don't let that put you off, who was a passionate follower of Christ. This man lived what he believed. And he rose, he, he, he was saved before, between the two wars in Germany and then was basically matured as a Christian and as a, a young adult during the rise of Hitler's regime in the Third Reich. And the struggle then, I can't get too much time on this, the struggle then, what does the church do? At first the church leaders believed that he was trying to save Germany, he was trying to make things better. But Bonhoeffer could tell very early on that where this man's coming from was not good. 
and uh, shorten it down, he had an opportunity to, to, to teach over here during the time of Hitler's reign. And God began to deal with him. He says, if you're, going to be, if you're going to consider yourself a true German and you're going to be part of the church in Germany after the war, you've got to be in Germany during the war and not avoid it. So he voluntarily went back over there, became part of the resistance, which was a long struggle he went through, and then became part of the, the conspiracy to, to, to assassinate Hitler. The Gestapo found out, arrested him, he wrote some of his most powerful things while he was in prison in, in, and he actually won the guards over. Prayed for people. He had a little church going and then only a few weeks, a few days before the war ended and that camp was, Buchenwald was liberated, he was hanged. He was martyred for his faith. So this man lived what he wrote. And the book I'm referring to is called The Cost of Discipleship. The Cost of Discipleship. We're living in a time, and it's important, that's, that's, we're living in an age of grace. We're living in a time when grace is being emphasized and taught, and it's needed to be because we've come from a time of great legalism. And grace refers to God's, what God's done that we can't do for ourselves. But you can slip into the other ditch, into the other side, where you think what God's done for us, the grace of God's so wonderful, I can receive God's grace, well, all my sins are forgiven, so I can live any way I want. And he uses this expression. He says, what's happened? Because he uses the term cheap grace and costly grace. He said, cheap grace is what we believe that what Jesus did was justified our sins. True grace is when we believe Jesus justified the sinner. So we need to act as if we've been justified. And it's a powerful book. I, I, but I want to talk. The reason I'm mentioning it is because we're going to about to get in. There's a battle that takes place in us. There's a battle that the Spirit of God wants to have in our hearts. And I'm, ta- I'm. This is. But I've never been where I am now. I've read this before. I've been scared of it. I've read this before. I don't want to do it. There's a drawing in me to do this now. What he's talking about. Matthew chapter 10. So that's kind of a framework. We're going to just. There's a lot that goes on here. We're going to pick up in verse 34. He said, Do not think I came... I'll explain this. Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I thought he was the Prince of Peace. He brought peace between God and us. He made peace between God and us. Do not think I came to bring peace into the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Why? A sword divides. And here's what it is. For I've come to set a man against his father. I'll explain this in a minute. Don't start running out of here. A daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. What he's saying here, he's not saying, look, I've come to create strife. What he's saying is, I've come to set a standard and people are going to choose different sides. In the election last year, there were families in here that were splitting, families splitting up. They weren't talking to one another because the issue of whether it's Trump or Hillary was separating the family. Now, Hillary didn't come and Donald Trump didn't come here and drag you apart. It was how you came down on the issues and the people and the election. Jesus is not saying my purpose is to separate families. What he's saying is what I require, families will make different choices but I will require a choice. 
cheap graces. I don't have to choose anything. He chose me. I can do what I want. No, but we have to respond with a choice. And this is why many of us are stuck where we are. Many of us are struggling. Some of you are depressed and things like that because we're, we're, we're caught in between two different kingdoms. The kingdom of God's in here, but we're living in the world. And what, the way grace is being taught today, it makes that okay. Now, there are many people that have it right. Many people will teach grace and understand this does not allow you to do whatever you want to do. But Jesus takes it up another notch. I'm going to patch you up here. Just don't worry about it. Okay. Look at verse 37. This is it. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. What it comes down to is Jesus demands to be first. Jesus demands to be first in my life. First in my life. First loyalty. The very first commandment that God spoke to Israel is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of bondage you shall have no other gods before me. And of course, they had all kinds of other gods before And he's striking right at one of the most difficult relationships there is to do this, which is our family, our children. And what I hear so often, you know, I'm just a mother or I'm just a father. But he wants us to be just a Christian. doesn't mean we don't love our children. It doesn't mean we abandon our children. In fact, you can't truly love them until he's first. Because if he's not first, your love for them is selfish. God's had to deal with me about this. Because I was raised in a very difficult household where, where we weren't disciplined so much, but where love was used as a tool to manipulate. And I've loved my kids, I've taught them standards, I've required things of them. But now they're at an age where I, I have a different relationship. They're, not, they're, you know, they're grown, they have their own families. But there's some things I need to speak into their lives that sometimes I pull back because, well, they may not like it and, and I may lose them. I'm being honest with you. God began to deal with me. He said, son, that's selfish. It's not your care for them and it's not your care for me. He said, what you've done is you put them above me in your heart. And that makes you ineffective as a parent. Anything out of order... makes us ineffective. Part of why the church is ineffective today. It's out of order. He's not first. He who loves father or mother more than me, that's the issue. When he says, I've come to bring a sword, I've come to require you to have a loyalty and a love to me that's above your family members. Actually, what you'll find out, when you do that, it'll draw your family members. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Go on. He who doesn't... Here it gets down to it. This is what it's about. He who does not take up its cross, his cross, and follow after me is not worthy of me. You don't hear much about this nowadays. Jesus says... You know what the cross is. It's a place of death. 
we're going to go through three things that the Spirit of God wants to, wants to, wants to kill in us to make room for Jesus. Because, you see, if He's not first, then that fills us up with us. We've chosen us above Him. He who does not take up His cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. One of my prayers in the morning, just to remind myself of this, is, God, this life that's in me, I didn't create. You created this life in me. This life in me belongs to you. We're living in a culture where everybody's concerned about their rights, their body, the justification for murdering, slaughtering millions of unborn babies in a mother's womb is that I have a right to my body. Well, you didn't create it, and you don't own it. And if you think you did, you're going to be very much mistaken someday when you stand before God. If you own it, fix it. If you own it, heal it. If you own it, get it under control. If you own it, control what you eat. If you really own it, you got control over it. But we don't own it. All right. So, one of the things he wants to work on is for the, that our loyal, we love him above everything else. All right. They get a little easier. So, John chapter 12. Well, maybe not. I just saw where we're going. John chapter 12. Everybody okay? All right. Remember, He strengthens you to do this. He doesn't send you out of here and say, now you get this straightened out. But we've got to give Him permission. We've got to be willing to let the, the contractor in the house and start busting walls down. A few years ago, we had a, a house we live in small. You're thinking the same thing? house we live in small. We had a, a dining room and a kitchen. They were very small. And, and I, you know, this was getting cramped. The kids were getting bigger. And so there's a, there was a guy in the church at the time, was a friend of ours, kind of like a son. I had him come over and said, what can you do? He said, what I, I would do is I'd take the wall down between the kitchen and the, and the dining room and, and open it all up. And Anita says, mm, we're not doing that. I said, why? She said, it's going to make a mess. I said, yeah, but the mess will get cleaned up and you'll like what's left over. She loves it today, but she, had, she saw, okay, so there's a mess that goes on. There's banging and there's noise and there's hammering and things goes on. But I trusted the builder. I trusted him and he knew what he was going to do and he cleaned his mess up and he did. And we enjoy the... Because it opens things up because it broke the walls down. So he wants to do the work in you. He's knocking at the door saying, I got my tools. I'm here. This doesn't knock as well as the other one did. I'm here. Will you let me in? Will you let me do the work? Okay. John chapter 12. These are things he wants to work on. Verse 42. Jesus is basically talking about the same thing. Back in verse 24, he says, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain, much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it. So we're going to go in verse uh, 42. Nevertheless, listen to this. Even among the rulers, this is the Pharisees, many believed in Him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him. 
That's where many Christians are. We believe in Him, but we won't confess Him publicly. Why? In their case, lest they be put out of the synagogue. You won't be kicked out of this church for confessing Him. But you may be kicked out of work. You may not be kicked out of it, but they may not have coffee with you anymore. They may look at you as strange as one of them. They may say, well, you must, you're a do-gooder. You, you're, you think you're more righteous than we. Yeah, I am, but not in myself. So this, that's our, the synagogue we may get put out of. Next verse. Why? Because they loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. They loved the praise of men. This is our reputation, what other people think of us. That becomes more important than God in our life. So in essence, we deny Him. Now, we don't deny Him in our heart, but we don't acknowledge to others. We, this is why we're keeping Him bottled up, because what if somebody finds out Jesus is in me? Well, what He wants to do is for people to find out Jesus is in you. So if I'm pulling back and He's trying to get out, there's going to be a tension going on there. All right. Proverbs 29, 25, they're not going to put it up there. It says, The fear of man brings a snare, a trap. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be safe. That's Proverbs 29, 25. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Oh, oh Lord. We'll get it done. Matthew chapter 6. This is the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to begin to get down into our hearts and touch things. Quicken us as they were on that day of Pentecost. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 18. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures in earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. Great. Here's the principle. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Jesus wants to fill your heart and dwell in your hearts through faith to be strengthened by His Spirit in our inner man so that Christ could dwell in our hearts by faith. But if there's a treasure in our heart that's not Him, there's no room for Him to be that treasure. That's the dirt. The lamp of the body is the eye. If the eye is good or healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad or evil your whole, or diseased, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, is great, how great is that darkness? I don't have time to break that down. I've done it before. I want to get to verse 24. No one, no one, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's the stuff of this earth. Now verse 30, 25 begins with therefore. That means because of what he's just said, this is the application. This is where it's going to start hitting home. Therefore, do not worry about your life. What you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or about your body, what you're going to put on it. But, but pastor, it's, it's just, it's, it's human, it's natural 
to worry about those things. I'm irresponsible if I don't worry about those things. We'll go on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They're telling us not to worry about our natural needs. By the way, earlier in this chapter, he says, don't you know your father knows what you need before you ask? So that tells us he's looking over our situation. He's not just sitting in heaven, you know, playing, playing uh, solitaire. He's involved in our lives. He knows you, what you need more than you know, and he knows it before you know you need it. He knows some things you need you don't know you need right now. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns. Yet your father, heavenly Father takes care of them. Are not you of more value than they? Which of you by... <laughs> which of you by worrying can add one cubit to it? What, 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 what has worrying ever gotten you besides ulcers? Why do we do it? I'll tell you why. In a minute. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They grow. How they grow? They neither toil nor they spin. Yet I say that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, oh. oh ye of little faith. When we worry, I'll put it this way. I'm closing my eyes. I'm not looking at anybody because if I did, I'd have to worry. Sin, worry is a sin. Now, there's a difference between worry and be concerned or care about something and taking care of anything. You need to be, you know, care about your children, make sure they have food and clothing because you're a good father, good parents. Well, so is your heavenly father. But when we worry, what we do is we've taken... We've taken it on ourselves and saying, I'm the one that's going to take care of me because God can't. What Jesus is saying is, when you worry, what you're saying is, I don't trust God to do it. I trust me more than God. That's idolatry. That's putting me above God and saying, I'm a better provider for me and my family than you are. I trust me more than I do you. That's why he says, oh, ye of little faith. So the Spirit of God, the, the, the limitlessness of Christ's love can't operate in us when I'm worried about things. When I'm holding on, when I'm holding on to the control. Verse 31. Therefore do not worry, saying, that's another lesson, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Verse 32. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. That is an insult to them. The Gentiles are people that had no covenant with God. No promise from God to take care of them. We don't have time this morning. We could spend weeks on the promises of God to the nation of Israel to provide for them, to take care of them. And the history of how God had done that. Done that. He spent 40 years dropping food every day in their laps in a wilderness where there was no other way to place to find it. To train them and teach them that they could trust Him to provide for them. And they recited this every year and over and over again so their children knew this heritage that they had. The Gentiles had no reason to expect God would take care of them, but the Jews did. 
He said, you're acting like Gentiles. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And here's the answer. But seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This whole section of Scripture is talking to where, what our hearts and what our hearts are seeking after. When he uses the example of the eye, and he's basically saying an eye that is diseased, like cataracts or stigmatism, light's getting in, but it's distorted, so you cannot see clearly. Because the eye is the gate of light into your body. If your eye is healthy, then the light that's getting in there is clear and it's accurate. And then he goes and talks about our heart, what it's seeking after. And the parallel is just as your eye is the gateway of light into your body, your heart and the condition of your heart is the gateway of Jesus and the Spirit of God and spiritual things into your spirit and your soul. And so when our heart is chasing after and seeking after all these needs of the world so that we're not trust. When we're worrying, our heart is seeking after things and not after Him. And when our heart is seeking after things and not after Him, there's not room for Him to operate in our hearts. So what the Spirit of God wants to deal with in us is what place does Jesus have in our hearts today? What is your treasure? Is it your children? Is it your job? Is it your house? What is it that has a place in our hearts above Him? So that if He spoke to you and said, I want you to give it up. There was a man, Abraham in Genesis 22, where God said that to him. He said, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love. And I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice on, an, on, a, on a mountain I will show you. And we don't have time to go through the whole thing, but the background is, this is a son that God made him believe him to have, and then made promises to him, through this boy you will be the father of many nations. And Abraham gets up early the next morning, and takes the young boy Isaac and his servants, and they take the fire and the wood, and they go to the place God tells them, and he gets him up on the mountain. And Abraham has the knife, and he's ready to bring it down to run that through him. And an angel speaks and stops him. And he says, Now I know, now I know that you reverence me, since you've spared not your precious son. And then he reiterates the promises he'd made to him 25 years earlier. Now Abraham, just so you understand the background, Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham had absolute confidence that even if he brought the knife down, God was going to raise him back up because God hadn't changed his promise that through this boy, he was going to be the father of many nations. But the point is, God tested him to see whether that precious son whom he'd given to him was more important to him than God was. God's given precious things to you. Maybe it's a talent or a gift. Maybe it's a, it's a child or a grandchild or, or it's a spouse or, or maybe it's your job, something that God's given to you. 
And God wants to know that He's more important to you than that gift. And sometimes we think He's there and we don't know until He's actually put to the test. And here's what happens. And here's what God's showing me and me. See, if I sense something might be going in that direction, I shut down. I don't want to hear things in that area because I don't want to go there. So I build a wall there. That wall keeps Jesus from moving in my life in that area. There are other areas I'm wide open. Have whatever you want, do it. But there's some walls in my life where I don't want to go there. I, I, he might ask me to do something. Some of you, maybe, I, I, God's got a call in my life because he might, he might send me to South Africa. He sent me to Seekonk. <laughs> the question is, can you trust Him with your life? Can you trust Him with your life? And these are areas where the Spirit of God wants your permission. Wants your, he's got to have your permission. Because your will has to be involved. I'm encouraged because in Philippians it says, God is at work in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. I need to end with two scriptures. Galatians 2.20, I just quoted to you. You can put it up there. This is Paul's testimony. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's what we're talking about. Christ being able to live in us. Christ being able to walk through us. Christ being able to love His love through us to people that need His love. But Paul says, I have been... The way this can happen is, I've been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer... Paul still had his identity. You can still like fish and chips. You can still like, you know, the patriots or whoever you like. But Christ wants to live in us. So that the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We don't have time to go over... Well, can we quickly go to Philippians 3? I want to give you some encouragement here. So this is Paul's testimony. Paul lived this out. Philippians 3. I'll quickly go down through it. Verse 7. What things were gained to me are lost. Paul had his, talking here about his reputation. All these things I count as lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. That word actually in Greek means the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We may come back to this. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And that's not exactly what that word means. It's referring to what people pick up when they walk their dogs. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God. And here's it is. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering, that I may be conformed to His death. Paul was not there yet. God was still working in him. Because this ego, this self-drive, is strong within us. You can't do this on your own. But what we do need to do is give Him our permission. Give Him our permission. Later on, because then Paul talks about, you know, he said, I'm not there yet. I've not arrived yet. But I strive, I press forward, I press forward, forgetting what lies behind. I press on toward the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. Then he says, as many of you that aren't there, God will show it to you if you're willing. So we're bringing this to a close today. These are hard things to hear, but it's the gospel. It will free you. 
Because we, we're singing this morning about, you know, I've been set free. The chains have been set free. And what went off in me, I never heard about me before, is I've been, I, I want to be freed from the chains of me. The chains of self. The change of selfishness and self-seeking. I want to be set free from those things to experience His life. You see, remember, this is resurrection life, but you can't get resurrected until you died. Jesus couldn't be raised from the dead until He died. And God has a newness of life for you. It's called eternal life. Eternal life isn't just referring to eternity in heaven. Eternal life is referring to life at the level God lives. But there's, you can't continue to live this level of life and how that level of life flowing out of you. So the Spirit of God is at work in us. He wants permission to knock on different walls. Your walls may be different than my walls. Your traditions that you've been raised up with, he may, he may be different. I've had to open my, through what this stuff I went through last year, with the process I went through with, with, with prostate cancer. I had to open my, God had to deal with attitudes I had about certain preachers because I needed to hear what they had to say now. He had to break down pride in my life. I thought I dealt with, I thought I dealt with pride. He had to break down, show me there's still pride in there affecting you. But see, where that's there, as long as I'm willing to let Him work, He can work and strengthen me to let go and strengthen me to address things and strengthen me. You don't have to do this yourself, but He needs permission to do it. He needs permission to just show you. If you think you've got it all together, He can't show you. We've got to end here today. We'll pick up here. We'll pick up here next time we do this. Just see where God goes from here. Everybody okay? Yes. Then I failed. <laughs> if you're okay, I failed. <laughs> I understand. I've never been in this place before. I'm feeling God drawing me into this. and I, 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 know, I know my flesh resists it, but I'm feeling God draw me because He wants to make room. I'll close with this, my third closing. I was driving home the other day and some ministry sent me one of these USB things of a minister's conference. And I plugged it in and this woman was reading a prophecy that had been given about this year and about how God wants to visit. God's tangible presence wants to come and visit us. And that's His glory coming. And, and she said this, she said, so that we will no longer just have church. I almost jumped out of the car. That, but when we, that happens, the Spirit of God will, will refine us because when God's presence is here, when God's glory is here, when, remember, remember when in the days we've read when God was there, they were at church one day and two people lied to the Holy Ghost and dropped dead in church. Back in... Back in, back in the, uh, um, uh, Samuel's day, in, in his predecessor, they were, having, they were having sex on the doorway of the church, and nobody dropped dead. Why? God's presence wasn't there. When God's presence is there, holiness will be here. And so God is preparing us and preparing us. That's got to be my last closing. Praise the Lord.